Miss America contestants are required to have a social impact initiative, something they're passionate about. So when a contestant's impacted by kidney failure, a passion for organ donation comes easy. This was something I've always thought of, especially when I was younger. I just had this gut feeling that I'm going to be the one out of all my sisters to donate my kidney to my dad. And just growing up with that thought, it just became second nature when it actually came time to apply and be a living donor. I've never second guessed it. I've never thought, oh, well, what if this happens to me? Every day is an opportunity, and we don't know if we'll make it to tomorrow. So why not make the most of what we're doing here on Earth? That's Miss Quad Cities, Jessica Tilton. I'm Monica Fox, kidney transplant recipient and director of outreach and government relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host for The Journey Continues. In this episode, Jessica shares her family history of chronic kidney disease and the steps she's taken to make a difference and save a life. Hi, Jessica. Let's talk pageants. Okay. How'd you get involved with pageants? I actually got involved on a whim. One of my friends, Hannah Mertens, she competes up in the Wisconsin organization. I've always seen her compete and it looked a lot of fun but I never really had the guts to do it. And it was, I believe it was December 19th, 2021. I was laying in bed and I saw a video online of this girl who had competed in Miss America before. And she showed herself walking up the steps to this Capitol-like building in a huge ballroom dress. And it said, Miss America helped me pay for my medical school. And then when she got to the top of the steps, she turned around and she had a lab coat on and all her medical degrees with her. And that's what really pushed me because I'm actually starting med school in the fall. And I wanted to earn scholarships to help pay for med school. So it was right there in that moment. I said, I have to sign up now or else I'm never going to take this leap of faith. I'm never going to have this courage again. So it was completely on a whim that I just signed up. And then I told all my family after and they were really surprised because I never outwardly showed any interest before. But I'm so glad I made the leap of faith to do it. That's awesome. So have you earned scholarship money in doing this already? I have. I've been competing for just a little over a year, and I've earned almost $2,000 in scholarships. That's fantastic. Thank you. And so what are your future goals in in the pageant world? Will you continue? Yes, I'm competing for Miss Illinois this summer, and I'm hoping to be crowned Miss Illinois. Um, That would give me a lot of scholarship money to pay off part of my medical school tuition this coming fall. So I'm really hoping to be crowned Miss Illinois in a few months. Oh, well, I certainly hope that that works out and that you are crowned Miss Illinois. I think you'd make a fantastic Miss Illinois. (laughs) Thank you. So why'd you choose organ donation for your social impact initiative? Yeah, organ donation is something I've pretty much grown up with. My grandfather, he was the first in our family to develop polycystic kidney disease. It was just a spontaneous mutation, so we had no familial history of it. And he found out when he was 44, well, actually in his early 40s, when he was 44, that's when his kidneys started to fail. And he had to go on dialysis. Um, Thankfully, he was only on dialysis for eight months before he received the gift of life. And he had a kidney that lasted him about four days shy of 23 years. 
that's the only reason I was actually able to meet him. Unfortunately, he passed the gene on to both of his kids. One of them is my dad. So I've grown up my whole life thinking that this is normal. It's always normal to talk about organ donation and then finding out it's not. It's not something people talk about. So that's where my advocacy for my platform comes into play, closing that gap and increasing education and awareness of organ donation. What else do you do in advocacy and outreach to those with chronic kidney disease or about organ donation? I actually have kind of two parts to my platform. One is the advocacy and outreach that I do as seminars, um, keynote speakers and guest speakers. I've spoken all across our state and a little bit in Iowa. Um, I've worked with the Illinois Secretary of State's office, Gift of Hope, Donate Life, UNOS. Oh, geez, just pretty much everyone. I've been trying to, you know, get my hands in there and reach as many people as possible. But another part of it is I like to acknowledge the people that I'm advocating for and those waiting for a transplant or those receiving dialysis because they are not able to receive a transplant or ineligible. And I know how hard that is because I watched my grandpa go through dialysis again towards the end of his life. And I will put together these kits and they have word searches. There's different cards. There's sometimes these 3D metal puzzles. They're just little gifts and activities for dialysis patients. And I've been sending them from Southern Illinois to all the way up in Chicago and even Iowa. I have some to go to Nebraska this weekend. And I've been able to donate over 3,700 gifts to all these patients just to try and take their mind off what's you know, going on in their daily lives for just a little bit. That's wonderful. And I know that's so appreciated by the dialysis patients. Thank you. So you mentioned that the gene was passed on from your grandfather to both his sons. Have you been screened for it? I have. Myself and my two sisters were genetically tested. I do not have it. And my middle sister, I have twin sisters, so my middle sister doesn't have it. But my youngest sister, Olivia, she does have it, unfortunately. And then my aunt, both of her sons as well have it. So how do you deal with knowing that it's a genetic disease and the effect that it has on others that you know and love and possibly those to come that you know and love? Yeah, it's definitely hard. Um, Growing up with it, it was just something that you always knew was there. And I got to spend the last almost 16 years that my grandpa had with his kidney. And I was able to see from how we went to the typical grandpa that would take you fishing to someone who had trouble getting out of the house. And that was hard to see that decline. And knowing that this could happen to my family members and potentially me before I was genetically tested when I was 20 years old, it was hard. And it's still hard dealing with it and processing it. Right now, my dad's waiting on the transplant list, and I'm applying to be his living donor. I actually go up to a Mayo Clinic next week to finish my testing and hope I'll be a match. But it's definitely something that's not for the faint of heart. And just knowing that you can do even just resharing a post online or talking to someone about the importance of being an organ donor, that could even help potentially save a life someday. So true. So true. Now, how'd you make the decision to try to become a donor for your dad? This was something I've always thought of, especially when I was younger. I just had this gut feeling that I'm going to be the one out of all my sisters to donate my kidney to my dad. And 
just growing up with that thought, it just became second nature when it actually came time to apply and be a living donor. I've never second guessed it. I've never thought, oh, well, what if this happens to me? Every day is an opportunity and we don't know if we'll make it to tomorrow. So why not make the most of what we're doing here on earth? I agree. That's a very good thought process. So the list of people waiting for kidneys is really long. What else do you think we can do to raise awareness and encourage people to register to be a donor? I think making it more accessible. So I believe it's about 95 to 98% of Americans agree that organ donation is something they support. It's a nonpartisan issue, but only about 52% of them are actually an organ donor. So there's that huge gap in between of people that support it, but just aren't registered. So to close that gap, you know, just going up to people and saying, hey, why are you not an organ donor? Like, what do I need to help you? Or, you know, listening to them. And if they state any myths, like, oh, it costs too much money. I can't have an open casket funeral and all these different things. Just debunking the myths if you hear any and also starting the conversation because it only takes 30 seconds to register online to be an organ donor. And if you have an iPhone, you can actually do it right in your health app. And that's something that a lot of people don't know. Even my friends who, you know, you think my generation is really technologically advanced. They don't even know that. And I had to point it out and show them. And I've registered a few of my friends that way. So just starting that conversation is so important. It is important. And there are lots of myths and misconceptions out there. It is important for people to have the conversation and dispel those. Like you said, it's... That's the story. (laughs) That's what needs to happen. Absolutely. And what do you think can be done to encourage more living donors? Because without living donors, we'll never get a, a handle on the list. Definitely. Education is the biggest thing. I, in a few of my latest seminars, I've talked about the Mayo Clinic study they just released. And I believe it was published in April 2021. It's the first of its kind. It's a 20 year study where they took all of their patients from the year 2000 that donated a kidney as a living donor and tracked them the next 20 years. And the sample size was 3,002 individuals. And by the end, they only had 3,000. Two of them had passed away, not from causes due to the kidney. I believe one was homicide and one was suicide. But of the 3,000 individuals that remained, there was no long-term effects. There was no issues with the remaining kidney, what they saw was, you know, acute things you'd see with a normal abdominal surgery. So there was abdominal pain at the beginning. There was, you know, redness around the incision incision site. And the outcome was just as you would expect, like no one had an adverse reaction. And to have a surgery that is so advanced that you're able to have 3000 people come out after 20 years with no complications this is a safe surgery. And I love to tell my students as a professor and all the people that I talk to in my seminars, I wouldn't be here sharing something that I personally didn't believe in and that I thought would bring you harm. And I even bring a copy, a printed out copy of the actual Mayo Clinic study. And I have it with me for all my seminars or all my speaking engagements. And I say, you are more than happy to take this with you if you want, sit down and read it. And I will help you interpret any graphs on here, any figures. And some people have come and looked at it after because they're genuinely interested. And no one talks about this until I bring it up because no one knows. So just bringing this education to the forefront of the public's view 
and being able to share how wonderful it is and how the surgery is safe. That's something that everyone should be doing. Absolutely. That is such important, critical information. Thank you for sharing that. So how does the memory of your grandfather shape what you're doing now? Oh, man, he he impacts me every day. I actually have a picture of him, myself, and my dad from when we went to the Ozarks um, when I was in seventh grade. And my hair is bright red, like Sharon Osborne red, because <laughs> I dyed it with Kool-Aid. And it's still one of my favorite pictures. And every day I hold on to it and I like to look at it when I'm feeling a little down. And, you know, I'll think, what would he have thought of what I'm doing now? Because he never got to see me grow up. He passed away a few months shy of my 16th birthday. So he never knew that I wanted to be a doctor or that I would end up being a professor for a little bit. It's just crazy to me to think that he's not here, but I don't want anyone else to experience that. I really want to close that gap so we don't have the 90,000 people waiting for a kidney every single year. And we could have more individuals have more memories with their grandparents, just like I was able to because of a donor who donated their organ to my grandpa. I know your grandfather is proud of you. Thank you. And your whole family. Thank you. (laughs) So one last question. What's one thing that you want others to know about being a living donor? Being a living donor isn't something you should be afraid of. And I understand humans are just innately fear the un- we innately fear the unknown because we don't know the outcome. And it's important to note that there's a difference between registering as an organ donor and applying to be a living donor. I like to explain it as when you apply to be a registered donor, or sorry, when you register as a donor, it's like a volunteer application. Anyone can do it. You don't have to have a specific disease or you know specific fitness or body shape anyone can decide to be a registered organ donor but applying to be a living donor that's like a job application and your care team is going to carefully review the application to see if you're the best fit and they are not going to take a chance on you unless they fully believe you will also have the best outcome from the surgery So applying to be a living donor isn't anything scary. You're not going to go through with the surgery unless you are physically and mentally fit to go through with it. My dad's friend actually applied to be a living donor for him, and he went through all the testing up at the Mayo Clinic. And he's a very healthy guy, lives a very healthy life. He thought he had no problems, and they actually found out he had leukemia. And he had no signs or symptoms of it, and they caught it before it had really developed at all. And they saved his life. The fact that he decided to become a living donor to see if he was fit to donate a kidney saved his life. And I believe he has an entire care plan now at the Mayo Clinic. And just because of that, you know, that should motivate someone to at least try to be a living donor, to at least have a very complete health history and overview of how you are. I've heard that type of story more than once, and it is true. It is the most comprehensive exam you'll get in your life. And oh, if yeah. there's anything wrong with you, they will find out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they never put a person at risk. They would never put one person at risk to save another. So, well, this has been the most delightful and uplifting conversation that I've had in a long time. And I just really want to thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been so nice to talk and share my story and hopefully others can be inspired to be a living donor or a registered donor. I hope so and we'll come back and uh, follow up with you uh, 
see how things are going with medical school and if you were able to be a donor for your dad and all that. We'll follow up with you soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Monica. You're welcome. We're born with two kidneys and healthy people can live with just one. Living donors can save family members, friends, or strangers. Are you interested in becoming a kidney donor? Learn more at nkfi.org. That's nkfi.org. I'm Monica Fox, and this is The Journey Continues. Prevention's a key part of our mission at NKFI. Here's Dr. Melissa Press offering a healthy life tip. Here's today's nutrition tip about fluid and hydration. Drinking enough water every day has a big impact on your health. It can prevent dehydration, help with maintaining your body temperature, allow for regular bowel movements, and help to prevent kidney stones. Water and proper hydration are necessary to lubricate and cushion your joints, protect your spinal cord and other sensitive body tissues, and help to rid your body of waste through urine, perspiration, and bowel movements. A common question is how much water should I drink in a day? That answer varies by person and health condition and is best answered by your healthcare provider. But in general, you want to make sure you are drinking enough water to produce urine that is a light color. Darker urine may indicate that you are not drinking enough. While water is the drink of choice, other beverages such as tea, coffee, and milk can also keep you hydrated. Don't forget that some of the foods we eat have a higher water content and can help you meet your fluid needs. These foods include soup, fruits, and vegetables. Wondering how you can drink more water in a day? Try a few of these tips. Carry a water bottle with you and refill it throughout the day. Freeze water in a freezer-safe water bottle. Take one with you and then it'll thaw and you have water all day long. Choose water over sugary drinks. Opt for water when you're eating out. Serve water during meals and add a wedge of lime or lemon to your water to enhance the flavor of water and help you drink more water than you're used to. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.